to the Culture Wise Podcast, where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace. Here we aim to discuss topics related to how followers of Jesus can more effectively reach Latter-day Saints in their relational networks. My name is Ross Anderson, Daniel Schubert, our regular host, is traveling, and I'm joined today by Dr. Albert Spaulding. Uh, Dr. Spaulding is a college professor, he's an an ethicist. He's in the Detroit, Michigan area, and I want to talk to him today about his work with LDS people, how he got started, what he's learning, how God is leading, and uh, things related to that that I think will be an encouragement to you today. So, Bert, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Just introduce yourself a little bit. Thank you, Ross. Uh, first of all, thank you for inviting me to to come on your, your podcast. And um, as you know, I, I was uh, delighted to be able to come to Salt Lake City and attend your Faith After Mormonism conference. Uh, I've only been to it once, but I'm looking forward to coming back to it again. It was just a fantastic experience. Um, so my, my background is that uh, I'm, a, I'm from Michigan. I've grown up in Michigan. Um, I actually was raised uh, in a Roman Catholic setting. I was very, uh, very, I want to say, very involved uh, being a, a Roman Catholic. I was good at a lot of things. Uh, I could follow uh, the Mass and uh, flip to the right section for the Epistle and the Gospel and different things. Um, served as an altar boy, won awards for this or that, altar boy things and, and all of that. I went to a Catholic high school. Uh, and then I went on to uh, 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 State University, ended up at University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. Uh, during that time, which is not atypical, um, I drifted away from my faith and um, stayed that way for quite a while uh, until um, 1981, uh, where I became a follower of Christ, really basically uh, because I came, came to realize that I was doomed without faith in Christ, irrespective of religious activity or how familiar I was with the Jesuits or whatever, you know, the Augustinian fathers or whatever. Um, so I became a follower of Christ and, um, and uh, got to be married. Uh, my wife, Nancy, is also a follower of Christ. We're very active in our church. Um, I serve as an elder and Nancy serves on a couple of boards. We're also active in a couple of other things. My wife is involved. Nancy is involved on the uh, executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, and she also chairs a nonprofit uh, teen ministry, rural teen ministry, uh, in, which is in several states. Uh, so, and I'm also active. I meet regularly with the pastors of small uh, town and rural churches who gather together for roundtable discussions um, around the Bible, around books, uh, largely because uh, small town and rural pastors don't have the luxury, really, of going to a lot of the conferences that pastors get to go to. So that's just kind of an idea of, of the activity that I'm that I'm involved in now. I'm, I'm a retired, actually retired professor. Uh, I served at Wayne State University uh, in Detroit uh, on their faculty for 38 years, um, and um, primarily taught ethics and business ethics in particular, although I did also teach because I have a tax background. I taught uh, tax courses and because I'm an attorney, I taught forensic accounting and some other classes in the law school. Um, but, uh, but I mentioned ethics because 
when you teach ethics in a secular setting, um, you don't get to start out with, you know, in the beginning, God created. It'd be nice if you could, uh, <laughs> yeah. but that's not yeah. really, uh, a, you know, it's not really how the conversation gets started in that setting. When I taught ethics, what I really taught was epistemology. I really taught people to okay. pay attention to how they know what they think they know about right and wrong. Right. And that was, right. that resonated not only with uh, Muslim students, Christian students, Jewish students, uh, but also with atheists uh, and, and agnostics. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, I also ended up uh, developing a, a webinar uh, facility for professionals, mostly CPAs, but other professionals, where I teach ongoing ethics courses, mostly online, uh, because uh, professionals, CPAs and others have to have a certain amount of ethics as part of their continuing professional education. Right. So I teach a lot of ethics there. But again, it's mostly epistemology, helping people to really dig in and figure out what it is that they know and actually getting to challenge them themselves. And I, I mentioned that as a, right. a background right. to um, becoming involved with uh, uh, the, the LDS and, and Mormonism. So uh, Ross, if you, if I may, me, I kind of drift into that and explain that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So I was thinking that's the next question I wanted to ask is that given all all the things that you've been involved in and opportunities that you have with your education and skills and so so forth, really, why uh, Mormonism? How did that occur compared to all the other things that you've had the opportunity to do? Well, let me give you a couple of background things, and then I'll answer your question. As an attorney, okay. I can't actually answer your question with a yes or a no or a <laughs> short answer. As a professor also, i got to give you the long answer. I apologize for that ahead of time. Um, first of all, in my work uh, at Wayne State University, I had the privilege of working with uh, about five or maybe even six uh fellow colleagues, faculty members who, who, were, who were LDS, who were Mormons. Most of them were uh, Brighamites. They were mostly LDS, uh, the mainstream church. But one in particular who was a very uh, close friend and actually the dean of the college for a number of years, uh, the dean of the college that I served in, uh, came from a reorganized uh, LDS, or community, now we call it community faith background. Uh, and so I, I just had the privilege of working in with with these folks, uh, LDS folks, Mormons, and they truly were some of the most professional, some of the most honest, uh, just some of the most delightful people to work with in a professional setting, uh, and and that that impressed me uh, very much. Um, uh, but I never really uh, didn't have any real significant conversations about faith or anything like that. Uh, although I was aware that. Some of them had large families and, and, and lived a lifestyle that was uh, typical of, of a LDS member. Um, and then separate from that, about 10 or maybe even 12 years ago, I took my son. Uh, he was, uh, I think, high school age, and we decided to go on a little road trip. We went to Beaver Island in Michigan. Oh and gosh, yeah. Beaver Island, Michigan, yeah. is actually was the home for many years of, uh, the, of James Sprang and the Sprangite uh, branch of the LDS. They were really called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but they didn't use a hyphen, and they capitalized the word day. And that's, that's, how, <laughs> okay. you knew, that's how you knew the difference. And uh, James wow. Strang, uh, he colonized Beaver Island. Uh, he actually was, uh, when, when, uh, when Joseph Smith was killed, 
Uh, of course, there was some vying for who was going to become the new prophet and who was going to take over leadership. And as we know, uh, Brigham Young was the winner. <laughs> well, James Strang was one of the losers. And so he took his group, about 12,000 people, and they moved up into Wisconsin. And they set up, kind of like Nauvoo, they set up a, a little colony there. Uh, and yada, 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 things kind of, the wheels fell off a little bit. So they, everybody packed up and they moved to Beaver Island, Michigan, because as an island, you have a natural protection from people who right. don't, don't like you. Yeah, that makes um, sense. So he built a uh, really a colony there. There were other people there. There were N Native Americans there. There were also a lot of mm -hmm. Irish fishermen there. A lot of conflicts with the locals. Eventually, uh, the, some things happened that, that made a couple of uh, people very angry, and they ended up murdering him. Actually, they shot him when he was in uh, in uh in Beaver Island, and, and then he they, they took him to Wisconsin. He ended up dying in Wisconsin. He's buried in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that whole history really fascinated me. And one of the things that, that piqued my attention was that uh, James Strang, like Joseph Smith at one point, decided that he wasn't just a prophet, he was a king. And, okay. uh, and so he became the king of not only his church, but of Beaver Island. And as a king, he was the political leader. And as a political leader, he was actually elected to the Michigan legislature. So James Strang was the only time we've ever had a, a, a king of a country elected to a state legislature. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that funny? So that's, Michigan, a, that's an interesting nuance. Yeah, I so, mean, that's, that's like, the, that's a, in a nutshell, a lot of what the history of different aspects of Mormonism in, the, in that era was all about, right? Yes. I mean, yeah, a lot of things that could be told in the lives of other, you know, leaders of offshoot groups. Right, exactly. So very yeah. fascinating. Even today, even today, even down by Ogden and other places, northern uh, Colorado, yep. a, lot of, a lot of that. So anyway, those were just two things in my background. I'm sorry it took me so mm -hmm. long to cover them. But no, that's great. That's fascinating. Just the fact that I got to work with LDS members and uh, and I and I kind of had kind of done a little deep dive into and part of it what made the the, the James Strang thing interesting is after he was murdered a lot of the people uh, basically the the Mormons got thrown off of Beaver Island uh, and a lot of the ones who were in his church in his branch moved over to the reorganized church so. Okay. My friend who uh, comes from a reorganized background is actually, you know, he's actually connected back to the Strang uh, group in uh, at Beaver Island. So there was actually a connection between my experience working with, with colleagues, but also Beaver Island and James Strang. So Yeah, yeah. Now, just a footnote on that. Do you Have you met a guy named Kyle Bashirs? No, I have not. Okay. Kyle's a, Kyle's a, a pastor, Christian pastor in Macon, Georgia. But he's also done a lot of uh, research, scholarly research on the Strangites. Okay. So an interesting guy. He's an interesting character. He's coming out with a, a book, not on Strangites, but on yeah. Mormonism here coming up pretty soon. Well, that's great. Okay. I've probably run across some of his material because I, I did a pretty mm -hmm. thorough read of uh, the Strangite tradition and, and experience. Yeah. So Yeah. Fascinating. So anyway, both of those, we could kind of put a period at the end of both of those two sentences or experiences and nothing much different. In the meantime, though, uh, as, as a faculty member at Wayne State and as a follower of Christ, um, I ended up becoming involved with Rochelle Christie, which is an mm -hmm. apologetics 
a student apologetics club or alliance. I became the faculty director for the yeah. Wayne State chapter uh, and uh, got to know Corey Miller real well, who was the national, mm-hmm. his national director of, of Rosh, Rosh yeah. Christie. Um, and, uh, and worked with, uh, with all different kinds of students, mostly graduate students, uh, uh, who, some of whom were atheists and agnostics, uh, some of whom were Muslims and a few Christians, not many, um, and, uh, and other traditions, um, and uh, no, no Mormons as such. But I spent a fair amount of time, about four years, in that role on campus working with students and really becoming somewhat conversant in basic, basic apologetics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the basic, you know, who, does God exist, the problem of evil, just the very basic, uh, typical kinds of questions that uh, need to be asked and answered uh, for somebody who is uh, investigating their faith or, yeah. or have feeling that they have a faith crisis. Yeah. So that, that kind of played a background a little bit. And then uh, as I was uh, phasing into retirement, uh, just uh, serendipitously, I was listening to a podcast called uh, Cultish. Uh, you've probably run yeah. across that. And, uh, yeah. and that, uh, they mentioned they, they they mentioned in one of their and I don't listen to it very often. In fact, I don't think I've listened to it in over a year. But but they they in one of the podcasts they were talking about a Netflix uh, show, a Netflix uh, documentary uh, called Murder Among the Mormons, right. and um, and it was I think three three episodes, maybe four, talking about uh, in the in the in the in the mid. Uh, 70s or 80s, I think it was 80s, a guy named Mark Harmon uh, became a forger and he ended yeah. up scamming the LDS church in Utah for hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. and until he, things began to catch up with him. Um, and uh, in order to solve some problems of them catching up to him, he actually murdered several people. Right. And I, I just, that just like blew my mind because it was not what I think of when I think of Mormons. I don't think of Mormons like murdering each other. <laughs> So I so I watched the Netflix. I watched the Netflix uh, Murder Among the Mormons, the Netflix documentary, and I just got completely taken in because the the things that I saw there uh, just amazed me uh, in, in terms of of the foundation of the LDS faith, if you want, if you will, uh, the Book of Mormon, and 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 just the culture and how that culture. Uh, tends like like any any rigid uh, any any rigid sort of culture. There's there's often a, a you know a soft underbelly, a lot of sometimes fraud or whatever. Yeah, and, yeah. and it just really blew my soul. So that caught my interest. What's going on with the LDS Church? And I and I couldn't figure out uh, as I began to research it. I just couldn't figure out what not what's the attraction, but what what's keeping people in this system because. The Book of Mormon it doesn't have any corroborating evidence. If anything, there b- between the anachronisms and, and, and all of that, there's just right. so much evidence uh, that, that would that would say the Book of Mormon is 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 a wonderful story, but it's not based in fact. And I began to you know learn learn a little bit about uh, about the, the Doctrine and Covenants and uh, and, uh, and and some of the other uh, standard works, uh, and. Uh, and then I could see the, 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 if you will, the ecclesiastical structure, the sort of right. top-down, yeah. very hierarchical, very authoritative. Yeah. And at the top, you have this 
system where whoever lives the longest ends up being at the top of the heap, which, yep. which you know, as, as somebody who has, has studied and taught uh, corporate management and organizational behavior, that's really not a, that's not a sustainable uh, successor management system. The fact that right. somebody has good genes and can outlive the next person uh, <laughs> doesn't tell you you've got the best leadership, but that's what, yeah. that's basically what was going on. I just couldn't believe it. So I just started researching it more and more and more. And what I, what I discovered, which you would know, Ross, and, and all of that, but I've discovered is it's just like ethics. The, underneath everything, yeah. it's the epistemology. Exactly. How exactly. do I know the Book of Mormon is true? How do I know Joseph Smith yeah. is a prophet? How do I know the LDS is the one true church? How do I know any of this? Right. And, and I'm just like, well, it's like because I feel like I feel it that way, and I've right. I've said it so many times in sacrament meetings, I've said it so many times in testimony in testimonies that it's it's just like drip. It's like I'm brainwashing myself. If I, could, yeah. I, I know it's offensive yeah. to say it that way, but really, as an outsider, that's what it really looks like to me. Right. So right. that that just uh, uh, really uh, prompted me to. To, to start uh, looking around, doing a lot of reading, uh, Ross, I read several of your books. Uh, read uh, a, a book in, uh, that was a, a, a book that was an anthology that Corey Miller had written a, ch uh, a chapter. Uh, Lynn, oh, yeah. Lynn Wilder yeah. wrote a chapter and so on. And, uh, yeah. and, I, and I started meeting up with people. I met with Jim Bowman, who was actually from Michigan. Yeah. And... Uh, and uh, and I made a trip to your conference uh, while I was there. I got to meet um, Bill McKeever. I got to right. meet Sandra Tanner. Uh, I got yeah. to meet some of the folks over at K2, uh, which is actually mm -hmm. a church founded by folks from Michigan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> There's huh? all these connections yeah. from Michigan to, to Salt Lake City. It's like, thing, what, you know? what's the Lord going, doing here? Uh, yeah. But anyway, uh, and I just really uh, – became convinced that, uh, that well, I had already started this, this idea of a podcast, but they came convinced that um, for me, if, if for no one else, I really wanted to collect my thoughts, bring this, this, this understanding of, of, of worldview and, and, and presuppositionalism and, and epistemology, bring that into this LDS arena and just start to unpack it. And yeah. that's what I've that's what I've been doing. I, I, yeah. I uh, uh, have uh, put together a podcast, Transition to Hope org is the website for it. Uh, uh, but for example, um, I just I just just by way of kind of explaining. So the the first the first episode was uh, just my my noticing uh, the the research that when people leave the LDS mm -hmm. church, they tend to become atheists. Yeah, agnostics at bath mm -hmm. or atheists they yeah. throw the baby out with the bathwater. Totally. they've been they've been told that the bible is lower than the book of mormon and right. it's only good as far as it's translated correctly and then you could have a whole discussion about what that even means um but it's certainly inferior to the book of mormon and so when somebody leaves the book of mormon they are certainly going to leave the Bible right. because it's right. not even, it's less reliable than the Book of Mormon. So the first episode is called the big flip. And it's just like noticing this, this flip. Um, and then, and then the second one is epistemology. In fact, the second and third uh, truth seeking and seeking God and shrinking God. Uh, all of those are epistemology is how do yeah. I, how do I know, how can I know what I can know about God? 
Right. Uh, yeah. And, and that takes you right back to the tradition of apologetics that, that, that yeah. you know, you yeah. work with. Uh, yeah. And, and I know I'm, I'm, you know, kind of wired, I'm kind of wound up. So, so Ross, stop me. No, it's anytime. great. No, 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 this is good. It's good. I mean, for epistemology is so key. It's so key. And so a couple of thoughts that come to mind as I think about that. Number one is um, for, for evangelical Christians who have relationship with Latter-day Saints, I think we have the assumption that everybody has the same epistemology that we do. We look at our epistemology as normative. And so, and that's why it can be a barrier in having conversations, relationship with Latter-day Saints to go, oh, wait, you're saying what? You know? That's exactly right. As a matter of fact, there's a similar similar phenomenon with Islam. Uh, in, in, in working in, in apologetics with Muslims, um, you soon discover that debating the Quran versus the Bible is, 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 is really pointless. Why? Because most Muslims that I've run into, and certainly a lot of the students and all, they're not Quran scholars. They rely upon the imam and, and others right. for that. But it's the culture. It's the yeah. family. It's the it's it's the DNA, if you will. The not not necessarily Arabic or, or Persian or whatever kind of DNA, but just the the Islamic DNA, if I could put it that way. It's mm-hmm. just such yeah. a deep part. And and people like Nabil, the late Nabil Qureshi, uh, mm-hmm. who who was a, a Muslim uh, and became a follower of Christ, he actually did a debate at Wayne State with a with a Christian okay. a scholar yeah. named Shabir Ali, and that's available online. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing debate. Uh, before he passed on, my uh, my friend Abdu Murray, uh, also coming from a, a Muslim uh, background, and 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 they they studied they studied the 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 Bible versus the Book of Quran, and they really in both cases they really worked through that. That's very unusual. Uh, most of the yeah. time, most Muslims. Uh, don't find themselves taking the time to really study the Bible and really study the Book of Quran, um, and that is uh, that's really I found to be true of of, of so many LDS uh, members of the LDS Church, uh, because uh, they they do read the Book of Mormon, they read the standard works, um, they they have them explained, they talk about them in sacrament meeting and in a, a general conference and so on, but. They don't really do a deep dive. I mean, even Joseph Smith did more of a deep dive by by doing somewhat of a, a commentary. He called it a yeah. translation, really a commentary yeah. that he seems to borrow from some other commentators. But yeah. he went through. But if you go through and look at what he did, he didn't really change anything significant right. except in a couple of key areas. But most most uh, LDS members don't really even study the words of the Bible or the words of the of the of right. the uh, Book of Mormon, uh, if they do, it, it becomes it becomes very conflicting uh, right. because because right. it's it's there is a lot of incoherence within right. the Book of Mormon. So, well, I had a conversation. Interesting. I had a conversation last night with a couple uh, that attends our church that have left Mormonism about a year ago or so. He was a seminary professor, turned mission, so forth. We we're talking about ways that um, Latter-day Saint authorities or people uh, misinterpret the Bible. So we're talking about context and 
authorial intent and so forth, looking at some key proof texts that the Mormons, and we were having a conversation about that. And, um, and he said, look, I, I never did. I never thought about it beyond because I looked in my LDS version of the King James Bible and the footnote said, this refers to Joseph Smith. He right. said, why would I have thought more about that? You know, he says, right. this was a gut punch to, to realize. And then she pointed out, we were, we were talking about, um, well, for our listeners may, may understand uh, the prophecy in Ezekiel 37 about the stick of Joseph, the stick of Judah. Um, she, she said, uh, look, we, uh, the culture also comes into play because she said, she said, I forgot all about all this stuff, but it, it brought back a memory because we all, when we got our patriarchal blessing, we all were told what tribe we were part of. So that connects to the tribes of Ephraim and the tribe of Judah and so forth. And she said, so there's this whole cultural identity overlay that enters into and, and um, you know, kind of fortifies the, the um, epistemological approach and how, you know, how these things come out. So he said, they, they, in a sense, she said, she said we, we didn't really have a chance um, to look at it in the scripture any differently than, than our culture and our leaders told us to. Yeah, so that, right. that was interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that's that's all. Just I just wanted to kind of explain how I got yeah. into it. Um, so I did an episode on called "Bashing the Bible," which is the you know the LDS mm -hmm. view of the Bible, and then uh, I did one on being worthy. Where we talk about worthiness, which um, you know is is a really it, it brings really. Uh, I want to say weirdly in the ears of a follower of Christ of an evangelical Christian, because, yeah. because we don't, we don't presume worthiness without Christ. We, 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 we trust Christ for our worthiness and otherwise mm -hmm. we don't, we know we're not worthy. And, and uh, to come along and say, well, if you do A, B, C, and D, then we'll give you a little card and you can go in the temple and you can go through ordinances. And we, we that's your temple worthiness. Um, and, uh, and so just, just this, this whole construct of, of worthiness, I found to be really kind of fascinating because it's, it's, if anything, the absolute opposite really of the Bible, uh, yeah. in, in terms of earning our own worthiness in the eyes of God. So, yeah. uh, and then, um, uh, I, I'm starting a series that, uh, is really based on, uh, it's a, re it's a response to, um, uh, in the uh, the large podcast Mormon Stories, uh, mm -hmm. where uh, John Dolan interviews a fellow named Mike, who has his own podcast called Mormon Discussions, and mm -hmm. uh, and what they do is they go through various uh, stories in the Bible, very aspects of the Bible, and they uh, and they explain how the Book of Mormon got it wrong and the Bible got it wrong, and then none of it's reliable. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, and I, and I just really need to, uh, respond to those. Yeah. Mike does a very good scholarly job, uh, such as it is, but he doesn't dig deep enough, especially in the Bible. So I've done one on actually two parter on Adam and Eve, again, responding to him. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm working on one now on the flood. I will be doing one on the tower of Babel. 
Uh, and these are all, you know, they're all in Genesis, and they're and they're not not only by sort of Mike at, at you know uh, Mormon discussions, but but it's not unusual for yeah. people who are skeptical of the Bible to pull out some of these stories and say, see, that couldn't possibly have happened. And and in apologetics proper, we deal with it, but I want to deal with it in response to. Uh, right. the, the LDS discussion. So, yeah, so that's, sense. those are, those are in the works now. So yeah, looking good. forward to uh, rolling those out. Yeah. Yeah. Th- those are, that's so, so helpful for people to have. If again, if they're, if they're interacting with Latter-day Saints, that's great. It, or a, a Latter-day Saint person who's coming out and developing a new worldview and even a new epistemology, say, oh, as right. you leave the Mormon culture, and adopt Christ, then there's a whole new way of thinking about what's true and how do I know right. what's true. And so, that, right. you know, that's a that's probably a, a cultural hurdle for for many people to go like, whoa, wait, um, wait, wait, how do I even know? You know, who's 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 authoritative? What voices are you know I should listen to and so forth? All that is in the culture. So yeah. now, in your on on um, your website in Transition to Hope, great resources. But but you use a phrase something about like I, I want people to not give up on God right so they can't so I, I can't remember exactly I said it but um, it, explain what do you, what do you mean by that so um, so there are two two levels of it one is as as I mentioned earlier um, when people leave the LDS Church it's very common in fact the majority at least in the statistics that have been gathered so far of the majority are at best agnostic and mostly atheist. Uh, and so and so what we want to do is we want to sort of turn them back and point them to Christ. Uh, that means we have to explain who Christ is, <laughs> yeah, who Christ yeah. really is, and, yeah. and point them to the Bible and begin to elevate for them who Christ is and, and, and what we really can learn and, and the credibility of the Bible, whether it's the prophecies mm-hmm. or, or, uh, or, or just the, uh, the coherence of the Bible in terms of explaining sort of the spiritual warfare that's existed in the whole history of mankind and all that. Um, so that's just, you know, that's our, that's kind of our tagline is don't give up if you, you know, and, 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 and unfortunately, a lot of them don't think they have given up on God, in, in not, not the majority, but many, because they, they, especially today, the talking points in the LDS Church today is, well, we're Christians too, right? We we follow Christ, you follow Christ. Christ is in the name of Jesus, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, so yeah. we're all <clears throat> we're all good, and and that uh, you know that that really is not true. In fact, I had the the privilege of. Of uh, going through um, a, a book uh, written by Eric Johnson from uh, uh, Mormon Research Ministries called "Introducing Christians to Latter Day Saints," and we did we did a series mm-hmm. on that, and we call it a fireside, uh, but it's a group setting. Yeah, yeah. And, okay, uh, cool. and uh, we went through that, and and really what that gave us was an opportunity to see yeah, there really is a huge difference, and it's not. It's not a, a theological scholarly difference that's beyond the reach of the average person. Uh, right. Anybody can begin to see, especially from that book, uh, Introducing Christianity to Latter-day Saints. And you begin to begin to see the, 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 the key differences. And then you can begin to say, well, I, you know, I, I'm not turning my back on the real Christ. 
I can go yeah. back. I can find salvation in the real Christ. I can look at Ephesians uh, and learn about what salvation is, is. I can look at Galatians and Hebrews and see the contrast between being a follower of Christ and, uh, and, and, uh, and trying to earn my salvation outside of uh, faith alone in Christ. Right. Well, we did actually, I'll mention to our listeners that we did a uh, conversation with Eric about his book. Yeah, and, and we're, we're in the process, uh, Ross, uh, we've talked about we're in the process of putting together another fireside based on your book, Jesus, uh, uh, jo- uh, Jesus Without Joseph. Uh, and it'll be the same idea as in a group setting to just kind of talk through these very basic points. Again, with the idea in the background is, you know, don't give up on Christ. Don't give up on God. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that'd be that'd be fun to, to, to see you guys do that. Uh, um, we wrote that book. Uh, that was that that book was the um, culmination of of my doctoral work, my do- uh, doctor ministry work. The project was I chose to say, let's find out who's leaving Mormonism and what they need. And I'll field test this curriculum in a, in several different groups of former Mormons to see if it helps, you know, so that came out of that. And it has been helpful to people, uh, people who still use workbooks um, <laughs> in print and so forth nowadays. Yeah. Um, well, that's nice. That helpful. That's the nice thing about a, a, a group discussion is, um, we can use the workbook to draw from, but we're really doing it more in a, in a, right. in a personal approach. To yeah, it. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. I love that approach. That's awesome. So um, that's really helpful to understand the thing, the kind of things you're doing, the kind of things you got, um, how you began. That's all, all so encouraging. I hope it's encouraging to people who are thinking about how might God use me. And maybe, maybe that some of our listeners are, um, and have a germ of an idea that's stirring up in their heart about about something they want to take on, something that they want to organize and do. So, so as you think about God's leading uh, in in your life and 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 moving in this direction, what are some lessons you've learned about following God, listening to God, and and mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, fall any false starts or how how God's been at work and what have you learned about like oh, how do you follow God when he's putting something on your heart that's thank you that's a great question in, in my experience um, I, I think the, the first thing for me uh, was that uh, in in praying about about as I as I became my interest has peaked about really the sustainability of this religious system mm-hmm. um, I I the Lord gave me, and I prayed for, but the Lord gave me a love for Mormons, a love for members of the LDS Church. Amen. Uh, when when you when you look at all the cards that are stacked against them, the cultural card, which mm-hmm. I've compared to Islam, uh, the, uh, the, the 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 very coherent but di- directive structure, uh, top down structure. Which once you get signed caught into that, it's it's just human nature. Well, I, you know, what would I take to get to the next level, the next level, and the, and the yeah. whole system is based on climbing to the next level, even to the yeah. re- point of reaching exaltation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, when you look at that card, you, you look at at the uh, at the at the, the financial card, the, the, the 
the finances that they have. It's the wealthiest church on earth per capita per, per member. And, and when you look at real members, active members, it's it just, it's mind blowing yeah. how much is there. The, as you may have known, as you've, if we've seen some of the disclosures lately that they could, they could stop collecting tithes today. And they're earning enough on the interest and the yeah. yield of the investments to replace that income. They would never have to collect another time. Of course, that would mess up their worthiness system. Right, exactly. Um, but but all of this is to say that, oh, uh, and just uh, I, just I want to say the 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 I guess you could say the confidence. And I when I when I toured the uh, the LDS uh, temple in Washington D.C. About a year ago, or a couple, year and a half ago, and I spent some time talking to some of the um, the people there, some people who are working there. I talked to a bishop and some other folks, and 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 you know, you've got this amazing temple. We're out in the in the courtyard in front of the temple after the tour, and there's this amazing structure behind us, and and I'm talking in this beautiful campus, which is true of all the temples. They're beautiful buildings and beautiful campuses. And there's just a confidence that that builds in in, in in the folks that we're talking to. It's like, obviously got this thing figured out. We're we're right. You know, look, look around you. Nobody else has got the money. Nobody's yeah. got the buildings. Nobody's got any of this. So that's kind of the third card stacked, <laughs> stacked against them. Mm-hmm. You think of the cards that are stacked against them. Uh, and, then you, and then you think how really empty. The, the, the epistemological foundation is yeah. based basically on emotion yeah. and culture. Uh, you, you just have to have some empathy for for them. And, and I'll tell you, you know, the people I work with, and I've actually had some interaction with Mormons here in the Detroit area. Uh, I worked on a charity drive alongside some Mormons in a, in a ward right near our church. Mm-hmm. And just loving people, delightful yeah. people. Yeah. And, 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 uh, you know, my heart just, I have, I just, a, a real love. So, you know, we, we often say, you know, we love because Christ first loved us. And yeah. so I guess that's a, maybe a long way of just saying one word, love, love, yeah. uh, allow yourself to grow in love for members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, whatever version of it it is. Uh, but especially the Utah version, uh, let that love grow because that will then prompt you to mm-hmm. be thinking about what can I do to serve these people? What can I do to help right. bring light in there in, in uh, these people? Or <laughs> as I as I as we call it with our web with our podcast, how can I help them transition to hope? You know, that's right, exactly that, that, that's yeah. our prayer. Love that title because yeah. of that. Um, I, I love that because um, you can see the heart. The heart is in it. Is in all the materials that in the, in the in the actual way that, that it's presented and so forth. I mean, one of the things that I've been in Utah for a long time, and so maybe this is old news and maybe it's not true anymore. But but there was often a lot for a long time there was a a disconnect sometimes between the apologetics people who were good at that and knew how to do that and the relational aspect of it, and it felt it felt like there was a flamethrower out. It felt like sometimes that there was an antagonism. And, and so that's why I think um, what you guys are, what you're doing and other people, uh, you mentioned Corey Miller, he's got this great blend too uh, um, of the truth and love. That's what, right. that's what the Bible talks about, truth and love. And then there's also, I felt like for years, there's been a disconnect between 
um, the apologetics and the um, cultural analysis, the, the, the missiological piece of it. And I see those things are coming together more clearly in, in, in the people who are doing apologetics nowadays are, by and large, most of them are really trying to understand the cultural element and how, how a person's culture is going to uh, influence in a major way how they hear and understand our cognitive message, our truth message to them, and even how they perceive us as the messengers. And so all those things go together. That's why part I, lo I love what, you, what you're doing because you really have a good handle on, on the, the both sides of that and, and you're put, pulling them all together. Yeah, I mean, it's like, uh, and, and even it, no matter how, I, I just, I'll say this also, no matter how gentle, how Christ-like, how respectful you are when you're interacting with Mormons, um, the, it's like, it's like sunburn. There, there is yeah, a, there yeah. is a rawness. It's like touching yeah. sunburn. Uh, it, 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 it comes from, in part from the history, history of, mm -hmm. you know, persecution, even to the point yeah. of he's ex wanting to exterminate uh, Mormons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it also comes from the uh, LDS members have been trained that, that if you're not for me, you're against me. Exactly. Uh, and so yeah. any suggestion of any critique, whether it's a Book of Mormon, whether it's the LDS culture, whether it's the money that, you know, that was being hidden from the U.S. government, any, no matter how factual, how minor, how gentle, there, and, and I've seen this in, in, my, in the comments in, in, in our podcast is, you know, I don't think we're saying anything. Ross, I've even asked you, give me, give me your thoughts. Are we okay? Are, you know, are we being yeah, offensive yeah. here? And, and, and I don't think we are. I don't think we are. I don't think you are either. But, but, you know, I look at the comments and it's just raging uh, because, you know, I dare to say something against the one true church. Right. Um, and, and I, and I just pray because I, I can't really, respond with any more gentleness than I started yeah. out with. I know, you know? I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so that's, you know, that's to be expected. We just have to pray. Uh, we just have to plant those seeds as, as we saw, uh, I think it's called whatever book, you know, put a stone in their shoe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we want to put a very, very, very tiny little stone in their <laughs> shoe. Very tiny yep. because their foot is already very, very sensitive. So. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point about that the persecution complex of the culture and the, the defensiveness. And yeah, because why are you attacking my church? Right. You know, and I, well, I had a guy, you know, you, you, you've seen the two my books. Of, I wrote the Book of Mormon, Understanding the Book of Mormon, Understanding Your Mormon na uh, Neighbor. I had an LDS guy did a review of those, and his review was kind. It was thoughtful. Um, it was a you know, it wasn't just like the uh, LDS apologist response, but he called him anti-Mormon. Yeah, and so I, I I reached out to him. I talked to him. About it. I said, "Why did you use that phrase? Right? There, what would you? What is an anti-Mormon?" I said, "You don't like you know um, me to use certain language about you that's right. not accurate or true." And why would you use language? And he got it. He said, "Oh, I get it. Yeah. I get what you're saying." So that was yeah. kind of rare that he actually got what I was what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. I think that comes from uh, you know seminary institute. I think it comes from you know. Uh, I think growing up, that's part of the culture. Is anything that that 
that casts any possible doubt on anything um, is anti-Mormon. And, and yeah. we just have to, that's, it is what it is. That's, that's the it culture. That's, that's the expectation. Uh, we just have to show them Christ and, yeah. uh, and uh, pray that, that someday they'll, they'll see that our heart is not anti them at all. It's actually, as we've said, it's out of love. If nothing else, and this is the way I've, I've taught epistemology for an entire career is if nothing else, let me help you think more carefully about what you about think what you know you believe. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. However you come out is how you come out. Yeah. But the best thing that I could do is to help you or encourage you to just do a little, do a little work on figuring out how do I know? What do I know? What I know yeah. about any of this. And, and that's why, um, you know, as we wind down, let's, that's a good thing to talk about. Let's, that's why for me, I felt like um, it's so important to, to have a relationship with somebody if you can. Now, I'm an introvert. I don't have very many relationships. I have good relationships with my neighbors and so forth. And a lot of what I do, like what you do, is online. And so, you know, it's hard to have a relationship with somebody online. But when it's possible, I want to try to build the trust that they know that I care about them because we're in life together every day. Right, I want right. to build a trust that can kind of help, I think, implode that. Um, they go, oh, you're you're a decent person. Oh, you mm-hmm. care about me. Oh, you must not be attacking. You must not be an enemy of the church and attacking right. me. So so that's, you know, where that's possible, um, you know, for, for us living in Utah, then, yeah, half the people on my street are Latter-day Saints. So I've got lots of relationships with yeah. them. Uh, um, but, you know, for people living outside of uh, the Mormon corridor, that might be more challenging. But I would say that's still an ideal that, that I want right. to kind of uh, set before people. And yet in those relationships, there's there's resources we want to use. We want to understand how do we talk to people when they start to make a decision, when they come to me and their shelf is breaking. And because they trust right. me, they can't talk about it inside internally in the church. Then right. what do I do to help them? Right. And that's why resources um, like Transition to Hope are, are really, really important. So, yeah. So just wrap it up for us, Bert. Is there anything else that you feel like, you know, you want to share with our listeners um, before we sign off? No, I just think as a follow-up to what you just said, your book uh, is, a, is a, a Knowing Your Mormon Neighbor. I, I understanding. Don't have Under, I'm sorry. Understanding Your Mormon Neighbor. That's a great resource to get started. On, on just developing that that love for and that attitude for uh, for Mormons. If you feel drawn into this discussion, I mean, it's it's so huge. There's so so many reasons for folks to be leaving the LDS Church, um, and and we want to be there with really open arms, uh, showing them Christ, um, and that means having a lot of compassion and, and a willingness to listen. Uh, not necessarily be always leading with truth claims, but listening, listening for that that heart song that yeah. that they're experiencing yeah. in their faith crisis, and they're saying they are in crisis uh, to be there for them. So yeah, that's a great point. Great, that's a great point to close on. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Uh, we just got really a great conversation. I think our our listeners have a lot to think about and um, appreciate what you're doing. And and thanks so much for sharing it with us uh, today. Thanks for listening to the Culture Wise Podcast, where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace.